After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi everyone, it's Raghu with Mind Rolling, and today I'm delighted to have Kesha with me. And uh, welcome, Yay, welcome, thank welcome. you, thank you. And uh, of course, I uh, I have to say that everybody should get over to wherever they can listen to Gag Order, which is this beautiful new record from Kesha. Thank you. So uh, you know, I'm really happy to talk about that a little bit and just uh i mean you have uh, the, the interesting thing is so this record was produced by rick rubin yeah and and i think most of most of you out there know who rick is as well and uh, rick is somebody who produced a couple of records when i had a record company with uh, krishna das called triloka records and Rick was involved in a couple of those records. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that he, you had a record company. What? Didn't we talk about that when you came? Or on the phone? I don't. I think we talked about it on the oh, phone no, a you little bit. Okay, I've been in the rec record business. Yeah. Anyhow, the fact is he loved chanting. And you you have never talked to him. He knew that you were using Ramdas. So everybody... We're we're going a little too fast here because okay, yes. okay let's back how the it hell up. did we get together with Kesha? <laughs> the random allegiance has come from this beautiful experience I've had. I have just made a new record. It's called Gag Order. I did it with Rick Rubin. If anybody doesn't know who that is, I believe he's the greatest living music producer. That's my opinion. But he has a intense track record that could probably back up that claim. Um, Not probably. <laughs> that could absolutely definitively back up that claim. And Raghu and I got connected because I connect so much with the speakings of, and the writings of Ram Dass. I, I feel very seen when I read Ram Dass. I feel very seen mm. when I listen to Ram Dass. And I really wanted to sample a portion of Ram Dass speaking. And I was told that was probably 99.9% .9 off the table that Ram Dass generally isn't cleared to use in commercial things. I was just given a very bleak statistic. Who told as, you that? You never I told think, me this. Oh, I didn't tell you that? No. 
Oh my gosh. No, because my my dream was to have Ram Das and I forget who it was. It was someone in legal at the record company or it something. It may have been somebody on the legal side of things just said that's the probability is very low. Well, that person, Kesha, that person had not been listening to anything, I guess. Uh, I don't know what, but because we've been for ye- the last several years, three or four years, been producing records and music that included people working with Ramdas's words and putting, oh, you know, sc- underscores. And we were working with East Four. I, I, I guess it's hard to pack everything in in a, in a small visit or a phone call or two. But yeah, so anybody who would have, you know, listened and, and be tuned in that way. We, I mean, Ramdas, he was alive when this stuff was happening. He was completely into it. It's our little thing's called Soulland Records. Oh my God. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're doing this, you know, very much so. So anyhow, next step, what happened next? Oh, the next step was I said, fuck it. I want to at least just make something from this one piece that really speaks to me. And I will send it to who we need to send it to. And I will beg. I will, I will humble myself and purely beg <laughs> to use it. And, and that's exactly what I did. And I got... I got the pleasure of getting you on the phone and mm. we had a wonderful conversation Yeah, and, and you ended up allowing me to use it on my mm. new record, which I feel like is a real healing piece of art for me. Mm. So I will be forever grateful. I remember we talking on the phone, I was crying because you <laughs> said you would let me use it and I was so ready for you to say no. And then when you said yes, I felt just like... Not only am I excited because Ram Dass is speaking to me through this particular piece mm. of music that we made, but also maybe one of my fans out there will then get introduced to Ram Dass. And Ram Dass mm. is someone that has helped me through some of the most difficult times of my life. And I don't want to gate, gatekeep that. I want to spread that because I feel like a lot of people in this world suffer from like feeling inadequate, mental health, mm. panic attacks, anxiety, the list goes on, depression, etc. And Ram Dass is someone that anchors me. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a long line there <laughs> of, of how that has affected so many people over many years. And that's, you know, it happened to me initially as well when I met him. When did he, I, I don't like know that much about his, like, like, I don't know his autobiography. So I don't know when he passed away. He, he left in December 2019, right before the pandemic, wow. which given his state would have been a very difficult had, had he been alive. So he, he just got out right at the right time. Now he'd been in a wheelchair 22 three, or three years which oh, wow. is extraordinary for someone, a stroke victim that was half paralyzed. I mean, was miraculous, wow. really. Yeah, yeah. See, that's something I didn't know either. I know his, his, I don't know if you call it teachings or just books, like I know the teachings, the, the teachings but I didn't know that about him. Mm. I didn't know he was paralyzed. 
Oh, really? I didn't know you he didn't was know. in a wheelchair. No, I had no idea. Oh, my. Okay, well, I'm going to turn you on to some uh, of the uh, videos that show him in this. So after When he went, finally landed in, in Maui, which was in 2004, the end of 2004, when that finally happened, he, uh, he started getting taken care of by really great people. He had been taken care of before and rehabbed and all that stuff, but this was like a place for him to luxuriate and let go. You know, he could allow himself to be taken care of because all he did prior mm-hmm. to the stroke was take care of people. And in, in, uh, he really transformed over that period of time. It was amazing. You know, one of the things, though, I wanted to... I mean, actually, that conversation we had where you were asking me about getting the right to put it on the album. And uh, one of the things that came out of that, Kesha, was for me was how I saw we had real similarities in in the way that we wanted to share this thing that we loved. This is what I have been doing my entire life. And I've been fortunate enough to work in different areas that allowed me to do it. And this is what I got from you. So that that was the the huge... uh, fulcrum for me to go of course you should do this of course you should do it yeah I, so. I had no idea that it was kind of even really legitimately gonna maybe be a yes so I had really prepared myself for a no and so when you said I could I mm. I cried all night happy tears like you mm. really I, I feel like sacred things should be treated with care And when someone Mm. is no longer here to protect their words, Mm. obviously it's amazing to have someone like you to, to make sure the legacy stays intact and intentional with that of the person that said them and the things that they created. So also understood that potentially there could have been parts of my past. I've made a lot of dumb fucking mistakes, you know, like I've been an idiot. We were all teenagers. So I just was so worried that, Oh my God, there's been so many unevolved moments that have <laughs> oh. been caught on press. Uh, oh, you're <laughs> the only one with those unevolved <laughs> moments. Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, it's and so called spiritual person, so called worldly person, so called combination of those things. We are all human, period. And, you know, it's just around perspective. So one of the other things that I, um, well, I just started listening to the album. What? I think I I got an advance a couple of weeks ago or something. Yeah. And uh, there's another commonality here related to Ramdas with this this record, which is, well, it's it's absolutely transparent. So it's no big reveal, I'll tell you that. But okay. just just the uh, when I met Ramdas, one of the f- and and I didn't know who he was. I was running a radio station, a rock and roll radio station. This is great. You never heard this story. <laughs> I've told no, it a million times. No, can you times. please tell it's me the story? It's always good to have one captured audience to. No, I love it. And some of my fans may have never heard this story. And I'm gonna hopefully they'll listen to this. So yeah. tell us. So I was early twenties. 
I was the program director of a rock and roll station in Montreal. And it was free form. We played whatever we wanted. It was phenomenal. <laughs> we got, it was just being simultaneous from FM to AM. It was just a phenomenal opportunity. So I'm doing that, and I get a call one day. Hey, could you please uh, just help us promote? Ram Dass is giving a lecture at McGill University. It was like the Harvard of uh, Canada is McGill University. And I go, Ram Dass? Uh, what's that? Who that? And he goes, Richard Alpert and Tim Leary. And I went, oh, yeah, because we were far into the psychedelic thing at that time, right? Late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. So uh, I said, well, I got to listen to something. You must have a tape or something when he's done before. Send it over to the studio, to the station. So they sent it over. And I went into a, one of the studios and I put it on and every word just completely resounded in a place that I didn't even know existed. I mean, I did because I'd had some experiences, but still it was so profound. And one of the most, I don't even know what to call it, but it assuaged the beast. Let's put it that way. Mm. Because the beast was all about self-judgment, unworthiness, complete you know, critical mind fuck, you know, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. What do we do to ourselves? It's extraordinary. Yeah. If you talk to somebody else the way you talk to yourself, they put you in jail or something. I mean, it was, you know, it's it crazy. It's abusive. It's abusive. It's abusive. It's cruel. Yeah. So, anyhow, this is part of the work of transforming, certainly. But what happened is he was so honest about his foibles and and so uh he'd obviously gotten to a place where he could first forgive this stuff in a way that wasn't heavy-handed just by okay it's okay to be human it's okay we're human and he passed this on and a sense of humor like you know you laughing at at the way you know you're just complete completely acting out of uh, defense mechanisms, you know, self-interest and motivation, you know, on your moment-to-moment -moment basis. That's what's going on. Oh, and and he's able, he, he just laugh at that. And again, I'm just human. It's okay. I don't need to stay in that place. Maybe I'm going to think that there's a way to become happy, so I'll do stuff. There's some methods perhaps to get me some distance, some witness. In some way it burns off the mm. karma, so so to speak. But that honesty, what happened to me is I went, oh, I'm okay. These yes. thoughts aren't who I am, you know. And Ramdas really outlined that to a T. This record, you are the the level of honesty that you get to in this record is is formidable, Kesha. Formidable. Thank you. Thank really. you. It means a lot coming from you, like. Having grown up in the industry that I've grown up in, it's like I came out and it was like pop stars and award shows and perfection yeah. and <clears throat> and and that whole world felt so unaligned with who I am, and I felt like I got further and further from 
my my spirit and my truth trying to convey this false sense this bravado this perfection this all of this confidence that you know you have flashes of sure but what was really going on in my head the whole time was what you can hear on my new record and I was so scared to be honest about that because there's an element of you know I've had big records I've had lots of success. I have a beautiful home. My family members are, for the most part, very healthy. Like, I don't want to complain or seem ungrateful. But there is an element of outward seeking that only made me feel emptier. Mm -hmm. I started becoming an artist because I felt like I had this emptiness. And I thought, oh, my God, when I get successful or... I'm going to, it's going to go away. Okay. When I tour, oh my God, when I have a big song, oh my God, my album's going to go number one. And then once I achieved those things, the whole got louder. Mm. And then there wasn't even a game plan to try to fill the hole, to try to fix the hole. Cause I'd just done the whole game plan and <laughs> I worked really hard because I was like, that's going to fix it. And when it didn't fix it, it was really, um, disappointing and I felt very helpless and and that was the point that I was at when I made this album and I felt like I just need to be really 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 honest with not only myself but with everybody else because this commercialized ideal of what you're supposed to look like or be what you're supposed to achieve. You know, I had an eating disorder for years because I wanted to maintain this image of the correct image of what a woman should look like. And and looking back, I'm disappointed because I realized I was perpetuating an unhealthy ideal and potentially causing other people to starve themselves and I just decided I don't want to be a part of the problem as much as I can have the awareness to be a part of a solution. I want to have that. Of course, I'm not fucking enlightened, but I have like moments where I've realized I can do better. <laughs> you just said something. That was great. It just reminded me of something. What? Tell me. When you said, I'm not enlightened, but you know, just trying to do the best I can, pretty much, right? Yeah. So Ramdas went uh, was sitting with Neem Karoli Baba, our guru, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, how can I get enlightened? And he was expecting secret teachings, secret mantras, because yeah. his Buddhist friends had been getting them. And so he thought, wow, now, you know, an enlightened being is going to get me enlightened here. I'm... Yeah, and Maharaji said, yeah, feed people. And Ramdas mm. thought to himself, that's the most penny-any bullshit. What do you mean feed people? I need to get a real practice. And so he asked in a different way. And Maharaji said, love everyone. Simple. And that was the beginning of him, Ramdas, understanding the reality isn't for us to think about, you know, some the loftiness of quote unquote enlightenment. 
It was about the reality of how can we help people, you know? Oh, that just gave me chills. And that, you know, that's... so it's kindness, it's compassion, it's, you know, it, that's what we've been learning all these years, all these decades, is how do we transform ourselves out of the me, me land into the oh, we, God. me land? <laughs> that's such a... <laughs> Interesting concept for someone whose entire yeah. life revolves around, like, literally, I, like, live inside of my own asshole <laughs> most of the day. So, like, that's a great <laughs> reminder. <laughs> but I you know, did. It, yeah? What? Oh, no, I, it's gone. They come oh, and go fast. Okay, go ahead. Right. No, <laughs> no, I was just, like. The truth is it doesn't matter what you do and it I mean you're a brand and and you're you're attended to as such because it's a commodity a brand and the the thing is not to get identified now you have there's stuff on this record about identity as well right I mean you talk about it Absolutely Yeah and so I I think no, I was doing a meditation and I had this moment where the identity, like the ego, the self, like I had a real crisis and saw kind of the, this collapse of who I thought I was happened. And it was freeing and terrifying. Yeah. Which, I mean... I think it's a good thing. My therapist seems to think it's a good thing, so I'm just trying to lean into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, this is happening absolutely every. I mean, you have it in writ in bright Vegas lights, the brand, right, that you're dealing with on a day-to-day, that you manage to do something like... Thank God you got Rick uh, to work with. I mean, because oh, we God, work with him. And... Uh, he, He's a very complex guy, but he is totally understands serving an artist. He absolutely does, right? Absolutely. And what you said earlier is interesting because it's in a... I try to compartmentalize when I'm at work, when I'm at my job. I have to be in my authentic version of myself or else when I step away from whatever piece I've made to then become the business owner of the commodity of myself. Yeah. If it's not genuine art, if it's not a genuine conversation like what we're having, I feel a lot of shame about then giving that to the rest of the world to look at. So I felt a lot of shame walking around pretending I was perfectly healthy and fine and really I was starving myself because, like, what does that do to young women across the world looking at me if I have the the great pleasure of being a famous person? I, I just think I have to be, I have to live in my authentic self first or else I feel too much guilt and shame to then step out and look at the commodity of what I am then quote unquote selling. I mean, because it is, it's a business, it's a job, but my job is being so open hearted that it sometimes is terrifying. Yeah. Talk about a tight rope. Yeah. High wire act. Absolutely. (laughs) 
A fine line. That's yeah. what fine line is about on the record. Yeah. Uh, everybody, of course, my own experience, I was uh, the, the, in the record business and part actually of one of the large majors at the time. And so I was, I got to see a lot of stuff, some of it not too pretty. I mean, the music business uh, is a very difficult place for an artist. Absolutely. It, I actually want to ask you, as someone who's dedicated your life in large to helping spread awareness and bringing people to Ramdas, which is an it's like a very selfless job you have, right? Um, I get into as much, you know, uh, self-motivated BS as everybody else, okay? I'm, you know, I'm the director of a foundation oh. and the founder of a podcast network, and I'm a this and a producer of documentary film, whatever, music, all of it. Do you think that, I mean, I, the beauty was, though, that I had, when Ramdas was alive, I had him to get on the phone and say, Ramdas, I just got to, I got to tell you all the bullshit that's in my head, please. And he would listen to me, and I'd go on about my self-interest in each of the different aspects of what I was doing. And can you imagine, he ate it up. He did this for everybody, but I mean, for me, when I was in India, I had some crazy bullshit going on. It was like Ramdas was a psychologist. I mean, he wow. he had all that shit down, and he had the uh, the way in which he integrated the spiritual path into Western psychology. So people got a handle. Like that's what you're listening to, right? Him being able to go on about stuff in a way that made you feel, okay, there's a path here. I, I can do something, you know. It requires practice, like yeah. everything else, and you know all about that. And then you, uh, you start to build resilience so that you're not so caught into the thoughts and the stories you tell yourself. And that's basically what happens. So uh, I had that with Ron. I was I mean, talking about lucky. I was really lucky. But did I have that going on where I could see the, all of the self-interest that I, I devoured myself into on a day-to-day -day basis? But mindfulness practice is very great. Oh, it's really it's very important. I noticed when I met it, I only... Oh, that's true. I try to meditate as like consistently. Mm. I'm going to be honest with you. Some days are better than others. Some weeks are better than others. Some years are better than others. Okay. <laughs> and the last fucking thing I want to do when I'm having, when I'm going into a darker place, the last thing I want to do is meditation. Why? I don't know. Because every time I do it, it makes me feel better. Every single time without fail. It makes me more present. It makes me more grateful. Um, but it's the last thing I want to do. So I'm kind of curious if you know what if Ram Dass ever commented on that, because I'm just curious why the thing that helps you the most, you want we, to, like, struggle You know, oh, uh, we, have this <laughs> we have this wonderful thing at ramdas.org. It's a five-day course about how to learn how to practice, etc., and get a perspective that allows you to see through yourself. So okay. go to ramdas.org and just sign, put your email address in of 
whatever, and they'll send you the. I mean, I'm. I, this sounds stupid because it's a bit of an ad for people to go there, but we put this together. It's the most direct rom because people. You know what? We did a survey. People, that was the core of what they. What do you? What would you like to get here most that would help your life balance on a day to day? And your what you just said is exa- how do I manage to get a regular practice? How do I manage to not uh, avoid it by virtue of having uh, fear of it in a way? I'm going to get bored. I can't keep my mind. Um, you know, I, I'm just one thought after another. I can't keep well, to the sometimes object. Sometimes I just, I just am a brat. Like I get this thing that's very bratty where I'm like, yeah. Screw it. I don't need to be Fuck doing it. that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm, I don't want to. I deserve to lay in bed and eat some candy. Yeah. And so, it's like, well, I don't feel very, like, the difference of how I'm going to feel afterwards is like 180. Yeah. No, I know. And so you know that. And you just, you, well, I'll tell you, the only way I've done it over these many years is set up. A habitual pattern that's not a fucked up one. In other words, I am, okay, I'm going to have a cup of coffee every morning, right? Okay. Whatever. We all have some kind of ritual around breakfast. Mm-hmm. Even if it's I'm not having breakfast, I don't eat breakfast. Whatever it is, there's, there's a pattern there. In this case, it's I'm going to sit in front of my little pictures and little incense I'm going to light. I don't care if it's five minutes. I'm going to sit there every morning when I get up. Brush my teeth. Going to go sit in the. Do you know who Sharon Salzberg is, by the way? No, oh, I know like the a, name, but I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Sharon is. is a dear friend, one of the great teachers uh, uh, that we've got, Buddhist teachers, and uh, and her. So one day, uh, my friend Duncan Trussell, who's a great podcaster, said at a retreat we would get together when we were up on stage. He says, "Sharon, what do you do?" When you get up the first thing in the morning, what is, what is your practice? And she said, I get up, I sit down on my meditation cushion, and I get real. That's kind of, you know, if you can get into that habitual pattern by virtue of that, because one way or the other, if you sit there and go, I'd rather just be in bed, asleep, or I'd rather, you know, be eating my, you know, omelet, whatever the hell it is. Whatever it is, you're going to create a new habitual pattern, and that's kind of what it's all about. I've also read that it takes 90 days to create a new habit. Hmm. So yeah. I'm like so so there you listening go. to you talk and thinking like sometimes being like, you have to meditate every day for the rest of your life. You have to work out four times a week every day for the rest of your life. It sounds too overwhelming, but I think I could commit to 90 days. Yeah. Well, there you go. Everybody out there. You, it's a meditation challenge from yeah. Kesha. There you go. Oh, my uh, gosh. Hey, let's do it together. Yeah, absolutely. And we can, like, check up on each other. And be like, did you meditate We're, today? A, we cute. have that. And Sharon herself has done it. And somebody just said to me the other day from the from Love Serve Remember, hey, can we have a, another, uh, can we have a, uh, well, we've done it before, a meditation challenge where just that, everybody's able to check in through, you know, we have a, a a community online, so um, and that's at ramdas.org. org. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm gonna like, I mean, 
I'm going to call myself out. I haven't, I've been meaning to go and take a course for the past six months, but I've, it's been a little chaotic in my life. I just put out this record. <laughs> but really? I'm going to do it because it really is, at the end of the day, it is self-serving in a sense, but then and you're just like also making, you're making enough space to serve yourself, to get calm enough to be able to then give to others. Yeah, period. That's it. That's it. In a nutshell, can you tell me, Kesha, mm-hmm. about the making of Eat the Acid? Absolutely. Yes. And Remind me, I have a question for you that is going to escape me. Okay, well, write it down. Or ask me now. Okay, let me ask you now, and then I want to get yeah, into Eat the I'll Acid. I'll remember. Because I really, okay, because I have terrible memory. Hold on. Oh, I wanted to ask you how working with Ram Dass and having this be such a big part of your life and working in the music business, which is a notoriously, I don't know what word to use, not enlightened, driven by the wrong things, evil, deranged, dangerous, scary place. How (laughs) did those things work together? Well, first of all, when I did that, uh, that was for, what, 20-odd years it was actually, I was in a studio making a record with Christian Das. I, I can't, do we talk about him? The chant guy. And uh, yeah, he's somebody we have to turn you on to. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, I got a message. Ram Das had gone into a hospital. And so he had had his stroke. And I saw him, but I was not working with him. This was uh, late 90s. And... All of a sudden, I got a message that he got septic in Maui, in, a, in Maui, in, in, uh, and he was in a hospital close to death. And uh, I was—that's a whole side story. How I was told by our Indian mother, actually, for me and several other people to go there and 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 get him situated. And he did get better, and we got him situated in Maui. At that time, I went on to his, we created a a trust to help. He had given everything away. Ram Dass gave away all his, he gave away his royalties to be here now. Do you know how much money? I mean, each year that makes, you know, for what this is, a a handsome amount of money. And he gave it away. So, so it drove us to put something together, and it was ramdas.org. That allowed right. him to teach online, and then we had retreats in Maui and other th- and so on. And then I became very involved, you know, right after that. But before, but the record co- and I had sold the record company. We had sold it by that time, and so it was two distinctly different periods: the record company period, and then Ramdas, which is now going on, you know, twenty years or something. Wow. Yeah. Do you? miss the drama of the before time? I miss him in in the way I don't miss him, and I miss him. And it's that thing. He himself said, you can live on two separate planes of consciousness at the same time. So I'm, you know, the, the fact that I miss him is still a plane of consciousness, you know. I'm thinking of him all the time. We're doing a podcast. We're talking about him. Yeah. My day-to-day work certainly has a, you know, it's every day. I still go, you know, in my mind, I just go and say, hey, you know, look what I got going here. And 
you know, this, whatever, the thing that gets me, and of course, is self-motivation, you know, and what's good for me, where I'm focusing on that ahead of what's good for what I'm doing and what I should be doing. So I, you know, I miss that. On another plane, he is so manifested through this stuff and through his words and through his through everything that's happening that um, I know that he is, you know, the one experience I had, this is going a little bit out of school, uh, I went to his house not long, a year, two years maybe after he had left, and uh, I, I just sat and meditated in his room. And I don't have a lot of visionary stuff going on in meditation, or anything. I don't see anything for the most part. But I did in this moment. And I saw him with the, our guru, Neem Karoli Baba. And mm. he was just by him. And I thought to myself, I th or I said it out loud, Oh, you decided just to stay on that plane. Cool. That makes and, me really happy to hear this story. Hmm. Yeah, that was my experience. But other people seem to have had similar experiences where uh, he's, you know, and this is... By the way, everybody out there, I have no idea about any of this. I'm just talking like gibberish in one sense because I really don't know. But I did have that experience, and I feel that his connection to, to us is very much a powerful uh, thread at this point. And uh, now, you know, some people have that with ancestors, all sorts of different ancestors. It's very much a you know, a beautiful practice, especially uh, with, uh, you know, the shamanistic societies and so on and so forth. Do uh, you, I actually don't know the answer to this. Did Ram Das or does Ram Das believe in reincarnation? Yeah, absolutely. Reincarnation. So you, Karma think, and reincarnation, yeah. Yeah, so do you think you've come across his new earthly manifestation no no idea nothing and i don't pay much attention to that honestly because that's so out of my uh, our mine yes realm of uh, pay grade way beyond our pay grade we have no idea in tibet they have an idea they absolutely uh they get signs the dalai lama uh you know will have some kind of sign or a dream or a vision telling a llama to go to a certain place in Nepal or oh, something yeah. and and they find what's called a tulku. So I have personally experienced people who in India, you know, very evolved people who remember their past life. So I know it's as real as you and I talking right now. Oh, I I believe in that stuff too. Yeah. I know it's yeah, far no, beyond my pay grade also, but it's something I like to think about because it yeah. makes me feel... I don't know. It makes me feel happy. And you had asked me earlier about eat the acid. Yes. And what the story you just told me reminded me of kind of how that song came to manifest itself was I was here, locked down the COVID quarantine was in full swing. Nobody had no idea what the fuck was going on. There was so much anxiety. I just put out an album and I was very absorbed in that, honestly. And I was getting ready to go on tour and that got canceled. And I 
started just really having a hard time existing because existence at home, being in one place, not having an audience was very different to the yeah, 12 years before. Yeah, especially. Yeah, really. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure it was a collectively traumatic time for a lot of people. But for me, like my mental health was just really all over the place. I couldn't even just walk down the street without sobbing. Like I, it really felt like I was on the verge of a psychotic breakdown. And, and then I would meditate to try to, you know, when like all else failed and I finally stopped fighting myself, I'd sit down and meditate. So this one night I remember just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to meditate. And I laid in bed and I meditated and I shit you not. My cat was like, I love my cat. The only love song on the album is called all I need is you. And it's about my cat. Like he's a very evolved boy. Um, but he brings me my headphones in his stupid little mouth and drops them on my chest. And he's never done it ever before and never done it since. And so that was my indication to meditate because I usually do it with the headphones in. Mm. And I was like, fine. My cat's telling me to meditate. Fine, I'm going to meditate. So I meditate and I start seeing like this. It's almost like everything went pixelated like um, a pointillism painting. And I just saw everything kind of visually melt. And then I saw the universe and how connected we are. And I saw... No, no it, drugs, right? No, no acid. Drugs, no drugs. No. Well, that's the, the fucking cherry on top of all of this is that I was sober. And this is a story that I've heard described by my mother when I was 10 years old, told me not to take acid, that everything I would see would disassemble. I would see things, you would never unsee them. She had a really difficult time with her acid trip and like, Sounds like. it was bad. And so I had this experience that I can only liken it to what my mom's acid trip sounded like. But totally sober, meditating in my room. And, and I really genuinely thought I was having a psychotic breakdown because everything felt like I started looking at the structures of society and where hate was like founded and built upon organized religion, like everything hours, hours. And then I had a, a voice start speaking to me and it was had a very good sense of humor, which I'm like, I love that my higher power has this sense of humor that really is helpful for me because I feel like you got to laugh or you're going to be fucked. And I don't know, it was like a very pivotal moment in my life where all of a sudden I believed in something greater than myself and kind of let go of the control and felt held by the universe and felt like we're connected instead of feeling this like like this holding on a little bit like what you were describing when you were meditating. And I mean, very different, but the same kind of almost psychedelic property to the experience. And I woke up the next day and I called my doctor. I called my therapist. I called everybody on my team. And I told them like, I I went crazy. 
I had a psychotic break. Like I was Googling what to do. What are the steps to take after you have a psychotic breakdown? And my therapist was like, congratulations, you've had a spiritual awakening and an ego death, oh, it sounds shit, like. Oh, shit, you had a good therapist. Yeah. And I, I'm getting chills just thinking about it because I was so confused. I was just so confused because you do therapy and you work on yourself and you meditate and you do all this stuff. And I had no idea that that was the goal, is to have everything you've ever known and ever believed in and ever knew to be true disintegrate in front of your eyes. Have, have you had, had, you had psychedelics before this or not? I've had, I've never done acid. So then I oh. wanted to call the song, so I woke up the next day and wrote the song Eat the Acid. And I called my mom because she's an amazing songwriter, but also she's the one that gave me the advice to never take acid. So I never mm. did. So I would never have this exact experience. Yeah. And I called an amazing producer friend of mine, Stuart Crichton, and we wrote the song. And that was the catalyst for a gag order, the album I did with really? Rick. Yeah. Wow. And that I have, is amazing. It, it was life-changing and... I have done psychedelics before and you get little hints. I'm kind of a pussy when it comes to getting fucked up. As much as my reputation would precede me that I am good at partying, I'm actually so anxious and such a control freak that mm. that in large part was bravado mixed with mm -hmm. stupidity of youth. But I have, and I'm a big fan of mushrooms in the right environment safe and i'm not saying anyone else should do it to be clear but i have had really beautiful experiences on mushrooms but i never kind of felt like things were so serious like before when i'd take a mushrooms it would be like silly and fun i don't think mm. i'd ever had a proper ceremony or mm. anything yeah yeah you know when you describe this i mean I think you even said the voice you were hearing had a good sense of humor. So my mm -hmm. higher self has a good sense of humor. You said that, right? Just yeah. Now. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is nothing more or less than being spoken to by that which has so many different names. I actually know it by guru. I know oh. it by the that which represents the universal... I mean, God, what, you know, all these in the Buddha mind, you know, there's so many different names. It's, yeah. it's all BS. Actually, the first thing Neem Karoli Babas, one of the first things he said to us was in Hindi, sub ek, there's only one. There's one thing going on, one. And he thought, Krishna, Buddha, Christ, Mohammed, one, one, one. So, you know, we really deeply got that message. But, uh, yeah. That so, you know, in this particular culture, the guru. Well, I don't even know if it's just this culture. Many, many, especially in South America, the shamanistic cultures, they definitely have teachers, who uh, who have. Uh, I, I know of people who have a dream. Say, I'm supposed to go see so and so in you know in in the tribal lands, and they get together in that actually happened to be a woman a friend of mine said i've been waiting for you wow. this so these things are common they happen all the time 
they, and that being is a representation of that which is. I mean, again, we go back to trying to find names, you know, for this stuff is very difficult. But that which is, I like. I mean, uh, I like that too. Yeah, the divine presence even works. Whatever you were spoken to by, by. I mean, you've never, you didn't tell me this before this story. So, I, I mean, I heard a little bit about it. But I never heard it directly, and it and I that's what I I get out of it. You, this is grace. You were spoken to directly, um, like that, and and had the stuff revealed. You know that's and and then this record comes out, and look what you know. And I I, I mean it's it, there's, I mean we could go on here for another hour, Kesha, and I know we can't, but I mean there is just everybody out there. This is. Uh, uh, I'm not being a fanboy either. I mean, uh, you know, I, I knew of Kesha before through the prayer song. What's that song called? It's called Praying. Uh, praying. There <laughs> you're you go. Obvi- yeah, you're not. I Listen, when I first like talked to you, I, I, was, I didn't know if you had ever heard of my music before. So yeah. I had no idea if you were that, aware of my presence at all in the world. Yeah, that song. Yes, I was very aware. That song got me. I mean, it connected. Absolutely connected. Um, but uh, so anyhow, the bottom line is, I just got to say to everybody, uh, yeah, go check this out. You know, and there, uh, Kesha put this beautiful, that she chose, which is Ram Dass, um, he, he says, you'd rather be vulnerable and be hurt than living dead. And that's what this album is, okay? Period. Never mind also... You know, the incredible... I mean, you had a lot of collaborating going on in this record. I mean, I saw all the different people involved, you know. and, and Not just Rick. and uh, But, uh, you know, there's a lot of very unique things. Uh, well, I musically. feel like... Thank you. And I feel like as I was hearing you talk about kind of the shaman that you get called to, right? I'm also reading this book by Alexander Jodorowsky, who made Holy Mountain. Yep, I know who Jodorowsky And he talks about psychomagic, which is something I'm not totally familiar with yet, but I'm like, it piqued my interest. But Mm -hmm. the thing I took away from it, and he also speaks of Zen teachings, and we are all talking about the same thing. So getting caught up in the semantics of what your name for it is, or it's so fighting about something that is so irrelevant to the purpose, which is like the source and the one kind of what you were saying and the connection we all have and becoming aware of this source and allowing yourself to succumb to being held and loved by the source. Mm. And also for me, a huge part of this album was trying to love myself with the same love that the source felt like it had for me has been incredibly difficult and like cringy at times, but I think it's important. Lifetime of work. No, I mean, I mean, I, I know because, you know, I've been getting, I'm on the other end of the lifetime. So I know just how much it takes to just even get to the point where you're not taking yourself too serious. Ramdas in this movie, uh, becoming nobody, uh, says at one point um, when he's asked by the director, a contemporary interview, and it, it took place in Maui, 
Okay, what, what advice can you give Ramdas now in terms of the spiritual path? What are the two things that you, that you would so highly suggest? And he said, the two things are love and humor. I love that. Oh, my God. So I feel like I didn't know that quote, and I feel like I understood the assignment because yeah. those are my two favorite things. So there's the, I have to, I mean, there's so many songs, you know, that I wish I could, you know, what I like doing is go back to the radio station and play the music for people, you oh know. Oh my God, please uh, 50, do. 50,000 watts <laughs> I had back then. Um, but there, so this one song though, it begets a, a little story that we can end with. Um, and it's called Happy. Mm, it's the last song in the baby. album. My baby. Yes, that's yeah. my baby. Um, and it th- is there not a somebody speaking at the very beginning? Sometimes you think you are doing the magic, but maybe the magic's doing you. Who mm-hmm. is that? That is a man named Oberon Zell, who is a wizard that lives in Seattle, who I'm friends with. Wow, I love that. Uh, you know, I take the magic to be in, in a the encompassing big magic of what we live every day. Anyhow, in the chorus, you have all uh, at w- one part of one cor- uh, the chorus. All, all I've wanted to be is happy, right? By the way, the beetle type chords that are in there are phenomenal. They just, Thank you. yeah, really great. So uh, here's the story that we can go with. I, so I'm in India with Neem Karoli Baba. My brother, I got him to come over. I said, oh, wow. you got to get over here. My entire family were devotees, had been with Neem Karoli Baba, except my mother, who was with the, our Indian mother. She came over too. So we're there, and we're with Neem Karoli Baba, my brother, myself, and my wife-to-be, who he en- ended up marrying us. And uh, so he says to my father, why did you why did you come to india and my father said well i wanted to see how my sons were doing and maharaji said we called him maharaji by the way mm. and it's a nickname and he he said well how are they doing and my father said well they seem to be happy <laughs> he said happiness is everything and over mm. the years i've taken this not to mean the what you even have a little thing I loved it. There's a fine line between happy and stupid as fuck is one of your <laughs> lines in this record. Okay. And I don't mean that happy. I mean I know that he didn't mean that happy. I know he meant the kind of happy which is uh leans to the word contentment. You are mm. o- okayness. Okayness is a great mm. thing. Um, I just did a podcast with a Tibetan, uh, with a friend of mine who did a book with a Tibetan Lama, uh, Danny wow. Goldman. By the way, Danny Goldman, emotional intelligence. Whenever his name comes up, I say go get that book because we all need emotional intelligence. Is it called emotional? It's intelligence? called emotional emotional intelligence. Anyhow, I did a podcast with him, and he did this marvelous teacher, Tibetan Lama, and he said beneath everything is this essence, love. Mm. And un, and that equates to okayness. It's all okay. 
And that's, oh. that's what happy is doing for me. So oh um, my God. we have to end this here. And I that's can't thank you enough. Place. Yeah. Thanks, everything. Thank you. You've done with this thank music, you. which means more to me than anything else. So mm. thank, thank you. you. Oh, I'm very, very, very grateful and proud to have Ramdas and your blessing. And I really feel like this is the most special thing I've ever made. Who knows what's going to yeah. happen in the future? It might be the most special yeah. thing I've ever made in my life. So thank you yeah. for being a part well, of it. This most special thing here and now. And uh, we're going to, you know, yeah, wait, enjoy let me show you. This is my. Oh, <laughs> the, this the, is my Bible. Oh, uh, that's so great. This Wonderful. was sent to me when I was in rehab. So, like, I take it everywhere. Oh, this wow. helped me. Really? So, Wonderful. Everybody Tisha. get this. Everybody get gag order. Go get it. You can't get it anymore. You got to go to Spotify or wherever you get stuff. Go to this Spotify, stuff. listen to it, and get Be Here Now and go to ramdas.org. <laughs> See you later. Thank you so much for this. Yeah, thank you. Good